Welcome back to another episode of the Dr. Supercoach podcast. We're on for the second preseason podcast of 2020, and I'm again joined by Pistol. Mate, you can't leave me alone this year, can you? Well, to be fair, this is just a continuation of a previous podcast, and we just broke it up into two, so it's just getting really late, um, but we're powering on through. Okay, I guess that is fair. Uh, you're right, it is a continuation. We've done the forwards and defenders in a prior podcast uh, last week by the time this comes out, so uh, go check that out as well. It's on the page and on all of the iTunes, etc. So this week, we're going to be getting into the midfielders and rucks, which is where we left it last podcast, and what better place to start than where most people start to make their teams, and that's in the midfield. And Pistol. There are some juicy options here, but I feel like a lot of teams that I'm seeing have the same options in the midfield so far this year. What are your thoughts? So, like early on opening the app and looking at the midfielders. Firstly, does anyone actually start by picking the midfielders first? I feel like that was a bigger call than you anticipated. I do. They're be. juicy. You want to see all these high averages go straight into your team. I love it. Then, then start with the Ruckman. Jeez. Anyway. <laughs> Um, so (laughs) I feel like I have the most clarity that I've ever had in my midfield selection like usually I'm trying to pick five or six to start with out of like 15 or 20 guys and I'm just kind of hoping that the ones I choose don't fail Um, but this season I feel like there's just 10 good options and anyone outside that 10 is just not really worth selecting so um that might be a bit close-minded, but I just feel really strongly about them being, you know, roughly 10 really solid options and everyone else being way worse. So I'm really excited to get into this podcast just so we can, I guess, say who's hot and who's not. Well, let's start at the top with Jackson McRae, who is hot as of the last two seasons, 668k to start. He's the number one priced midfielder in the game, number one priced player besides the two Ruckman that we'll discuss later. So number three priced player to be exact there. Um, with an average of 123 last year, 22 games played, incredibly durable player. What are our thoughts on McRae only on? Because looking at my team, I'll, I'll give a spoiler straight away. He's not in there at the moment. Well, he is in my side, and he was my first pick player. No, I'm kidding. No one starts from the midfielders. Um, Come on, so man. I. <laughs> I can appreciate that he dropped off a little bit from the the year before, but he went from a 127 average to a 123 average, but he actually increased his possession count last year from um, 32.8 touches to 33.5 touches. So I still think that there is potential for him to get back up closer towards that 130 mark. Um, Essentially, the guy is so good. He's so consistent. He only had three sub-tons for the entire season, and one of those was a 97. So, whilst it seems expensive to start with him, and it is, he just genuinely doesn't get that much cheaper throughout the season. Like, he will hover at about 600k or more for the entire season, so you're going to have to pay up to get him at some point, and he will probably be in your final side, because I do expect him to be, you know, within the top five scoring players uh, in the entirety of Supercoach. Okay, I agree and disagree with a few things here. So firstly, top five scoring in Supercoach, I do agree with. I think he's incredible. Uh, 120-plus average, almost penciled in every single season. Um, a question, you, you said that he raised his possessions per game by one, yet he dropped by four in average. Is he now expected to raise his possessions again to go back up? Like, What are we expecting there in terms of growth for McRae? He did have 
less marks. So it was kind of, uh, you know, he kicks less goals and he had less marks. The tackles remained roughly the same. Um, I feel like the season before, when he went 127, due to his injuries, he, he could have done even better. And, if, and you know, this season, well, sorry, last season, um, he, even though his you know, Supercoach score went a bit down. His possessions went up. I'm, I'm hoping that he regains um, a couple more marks next year. He just needs to keep the possessions constant and he'll go back up to 130. It, it's funny because usually when you pick somebody at 123 average, you'd say they they shouldn't have upside. But for me, I feel like he does have upside and not just that. He's also, on top of that, a really solid captaincy option because he hardly lets you down. And I say that as somebody that captained him in his two sub-tons um, sorry, his two <laughs> scores in the 80s last season. So um, I shouldn't be saying that, but genuinely um, across the entire season, he's he's very consistent. Okay, uh, a lot of good points made so far. And just quickly to approach the, the, the point that you made about him not dropping really below 600k, I do agree. I don't think he's. I don't think he has the inconsistencies that some other midfielders have that would enable him to drop far below 600k if it's not just on the brink of it. But that's still 70k. You know, like when when you're looking at selecting players, for example, if I'm using my last midfield slot and choosing between McRae and Bond, there's 40k difference there. And if McRae is going to drop 70k compared to Bond dropping probably 30 or 40k throughout the season, you know, it seems. Seems almost it seems close enough. Whereas I'm, I'm more tempted to take the risk on Bonzapelli lifting his average from 114, uh, as opposed to McRae lifting his average from 123. I think we'll talk about Bont a bit more, but he is more inconsistent than McRae, and I think that you'll find that they, they'll both drop a similar price, even though McRae starts at a higher value just because of the inconsistency of Bonzapelli versus the consistency of McRae. But that again, you're you're banking on Bont making an improvement, and I would be banking on McRae just holding his average from last season because if he averages 123 again he's still going to be in the top five midfielders and and Bont needs to go up from whatever he currently averaged from last season to 123 for it to be you know I guess much you know a big win on your behalf I, I just I, I'm not going to dis Bont because I also think he's a fantastic pick for the season um, I feel like McRae though is just one of those safe as houses picks you don't get amazing value but you also don't get bad value and and it's someone that's you know 668k i wouldn't want to be selecting him if i thought he was bad value correct yeah I, and i just to just to sort of say as a disclaimer here i, I do i don't dislike the mccray pick i just think if you're really pushing cash and that 40k is there for you I, I don't think there's that much of a difference in the two to, to say, no, we have to have McCray over Bond. Let's try and find 40k elsewhere. So, I don't know. I, I, I Maybe I'm majorly on Bond and, and sort of so-so on McCray, but if in you know in a format where I've got that extra 40k there, then I'm, I'm probably going McCray over Bond anyway. So, uh, we'll move on to someone who's also very consistent, especially in their first season at a new club, Brisbane. That is Lockie Neal, of course. Uh, only a few subtons throughout the year, um, a couple of those being in the 90s. What do we think of Lockie Neal? Because I'm not seeing him in a lot of teams, but people are knocking his end to the season. Now, he did have four subtons in his last six-odd rounds, which is obviously not ideal. He was, he was copying the tag almost every single week. Uh, I don't know what I'm looking at there. He's had two subtons in his last six-odd rounds. Um, but he was copying the tag late on there and, and scoring lower numbers than what we're used to. 
I think people are getting scared off of him for that reason. Is that the correct way to go about this? Because to me, Lockie Neal, I mean, the second highest average of the year and, you know, in the first month of the game, he was a pretty much must-have before he got priced out. And Brisbane had a particularly strong season. I guess it really depends on how you think Brisbane are going to go this year with a much harder draw. Obviously, last year when they uh, started from a position the year prior to that in you know, near the bottom of the ladder, they had a really good fixture. They capitalised on that fixture. They, they're obviously a way better side than they were the, the previous year. But now they get to play the big boys uh, twice, which might not impact Neil that much given, you know, he got 190 against Richmond, for example, when he got those 51 touches. But you'd think that it will harm a little bit on his scoring. It's, it's one of those things where you know Neil is going to be, again, right at the top, probably in the top five midfielders. It's kind of like McRae, where he definitely will be worth having. You will want him in your side. Um, he's relatively... I know he's had a couple of poor scores, but not really that many. Um, there's only... Doing a quick quick count here. There's only one, two, three, four, five sub-tons, and one of them's a 98, and one of them's like a 91. Um, he's not going to drop to a ridiculously cheap price either. I just feel like the upside for Neil isn't as high as it is for McRae. Um, and that's probably because we've seen Neil, I guess, maybe peak in possessions. Uh, he's, he's had 31. He's had 33 in the past, but his super coach scoring didn't you know, skyrocket. It, it was 112 that year. He's really gone from you know 110 average for the last three seasons prior to the one at Brisbane. Um, and suddenly he's had roughly the same amount of um, touches per game but rocketed to 121 so I'd be very surprised if he had the same amount of touches per game and then rocketed to 130 like for him to be able to get to 130 average he's going to need to get a lot more of the ball and I just don't really think that's going to be possible um, from where he's currently you know averaging 31 touches per game so as I mentioned earlier he, he didn't finish the season as well as he started now, from round 18 through 22, he had scores of 98, 120, 101, 85, and 103. So two low tons and two sub-tons, which is uh, pretty much 90% of his bad scores for the whole season just in that last five weeks there. Um, and then obviously he had that huge game against Richmond in the, in the final round. Do you think people are figuring him out a little bit, whereas uh, you, know, you have to tag Neil to have any chance against Brisbane? Because... You know, one of these was against Gold Coast, where he only put up an 85. That should be, you know, that that should be locked in, guaranteed 130 plus for someone like Lockie Neal. So, um, is there any chance he's been? I don't want to say he figured out because he's obviously he's still racking up 30 touches in most of these games, but in a way where he's been limited to just the small little handballs around the ground, not the you know roaming around getting pretty much everything from wherever he wants it. I just don't think there's that many good taggers in the game that that's actually going to affect him. Like, I guess if they, you know, playing GWS twice, that's obviously going to affect anybody. But outside of that, it's not like he can't beat if he's tagged by Took Miller or something. It's not like he can't beat Miller the next time they play each other. I, f- I feel like it's kind of, it's not irrelevant, but it's less relevant. I don't think people should focus so much on a player like Neil being tagged because it's just going to happen so rarely throughout the season he's an accumulator he's going to find his way to get 30 touches nearly every match um i think it's just more the end of the season uh he wasn't 
getting as many touches as the previous parts of the season. If you look at the numbers where he scored poorly, he had 24 touches, 24 touches, 33 touches, 20 touches, 21 touches, 29 touches. All of those are well below his average of 31 for the season. So that's why he scored badly. He just wasn't getting the ball, and he wasn't tagged for a lot of those games. So it's more of, uh, I think people might just have a bad taste in their mouth from how he entered the season, disregarding the 190 in the final round, um, rather than people worried about a tag. Yep, and I think we're both sort of going to stay on the fence about this pick uh, as we go. We both sort of respect him as a top five probable midfielder, but also not someone that's exactly value for money, even in a midfield with you know so many premium options that we're looking at. So uh, I'm going to move on to the next guy, and I'll read you out some numbers. So from 2013 through to last season, I've got averages of 106, 122, 123, 105, 108, 113, 119. So all of those are premium numbers besides a couple of years that are sort of around the 105 mark where you think uh, maybe, maybe not uber premium midfielder. And then we look at the games of 19, 18, 18, 5, 21, 15, and 20 last season. I'm talking about Nat Fife. Now, someone that averages crazy premium numbers, he's, probably, he's one of the, well, he's one of the three players who went 120 in the midfield last season. He's probably one of the only players capable but he always misses games every single season he's missed games is is this someone that we're locking into our sides knowing for a fact that we're going to have to cover him at some point it's a tough question because one how much better is your life when you have Fife in your team than when you don't have Fife in your team much Much (laughs) it's so much better having Fife and then you get to watch him and be excited when he gets the ball rather than like curse every time he gets the ball because you don't have him in your side um it's it's also just funny because you're right he, he doesn't play full seasons and we have to kind of hold that against him but at the same time which midfielder does i mean you've got kelly playing 14 games last year Cripps playing uh 20 danger played 21 you have whitfield obviously 16 yo 21 gaff 20 uh um, the last two guys that we just spoke about who are priced within 17k both played 22 last year yes Definitely, <laughs> you're right. And there, there's another one that I skipped on purpose, Dunkley and Bontempelli, both played 22 games. Um, these You have to kind of weigh up, is it worth picking him knowing he's going to miss a game or two and you're going to need your bench player to come in uh, versus you know the highs and highs and potential captaincy option as well because he was someone's captain very often throughout the year, especially when on this hot burst near the end of the season where he went uh, 147, 76, that's a rough start there. Uh, 154, <laughs> 104, 144, 145, just all in a row. They're, they're massive scores. Um, I have my, I guess my slight reservation about Fife is, one, can he get better? Because he was unbelievable last season. Like, you know, he, he's averaging 29 touches a game. He's banging in the goals. Like, he's playing as a one-man wrecking ball. Is he going to be able to get better than that? And two, there's a relatively significant difference in how he scores in wins versus losses in 124 in wins and 117 in losses. Are Fremantle going to win eight games of football next season? They're predicted to be worse this season, for what it's worth. I think they will go worse than eight wins and potentially bottom four. And obviously you don't want to be just guessing and making your judgments based on that, but we need to take some sort of basis to have this podcast. So in my predictions, I think Fremantle will do 
worse, and therefore, uh, you know, Fife is going to score worse as he scores worse in losses, and therefore he's probably going to drop a little bit on his current average. But also, my life will be a lot worse not having him. So, at the moment, he's in my side, but he's not locked in to be there come round one. Okay, so in the scenario that you know Fremantle, for for example, you know Fremantle are going to do worse. You know he's not going to play 22 games, but he's going to average 118. It's hard to pick him based on that because there are players priced significantly lower. I mean, he's 650K um, that can do the same thing while playing 22 and you know, averaging within a couple of points of him and, you know, like your Dunkleys and Bontabellis. So I suppose it's a hard one, but at the same time, would you be shocked if... You know, he played 20, 21 games and averaged 124. At the same time, it wouldn't shock you. So no, it wouldn't. It's, it's just, it's so hard. He's pretty much the, if uh, if risk v reward was in the dictionary, it's pretty much a photo of five. Because he, he, he's so rewarding, but at the same time, just so risky. So Yeah, and don't forget, he got KO'd like he, in one of those games right. as it well. It wasn't so even a full injury. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, and he, yeah. You can't predict. You can't say that's like a recurring injury when you get KO'd. Like it's either going to happen or it's not going to happen. You can't. And he missed. Not like did he miss two weeks on that? Ping. Uh, I think he missed one he week. Definitely right? missed that was one. a whole big thing. Yeah. Um, so there's that, and there's also um, the fact that Fremantle have a very good buy. So they've got the round thirteen buy where. Uh, this year, it seems to be round 12 and round 14 buys are the buys where a lot of our premiums are in. So being able to select somebody that doesn't have uh, those buy rounds is definitely an advantage. So Fife might be someone to start if you're looking at having an even buy spread as well, or maybe somebody that you want to upgrade to after he's had his buy. But I mean, you're missing then having Fife in your team. So yeah, it's a tough one. I'm definitely on the fence about it. I think I've just talked myself out of him and then talked myself yeah, so, back into him. Same. <laughs> I've, I've gone, this has been a journey already. I'm, I'm like, you know what? I should start Bonson Pelly over five. He plays 22 games. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I don't have McCray in my team. I'm like, why don't I start McCray over five? It makes no sense. Ah, <laughs> oh, geez. All right. Well, I suppose if I were to rescind my previous statement about five being the biggest risk v reward player, it'd be about, <laughs> I'd have to change it to this guy, Josh Kelly. <laughs> Um, someone who's played 22 games just once in his early career. That was in 2016. Since then, he's had 21, 15, 14. So he's getting slightly worse. However, he's had averages of, since 2017, 113, 113, 117. He is so good. He's an amazing footballer. He's probably in the top five midfielders in the competition, I'd say easily, when he's fit. He's unbelievable. He's just... Uh, unbelievable footballer and you want to pick him because you want to watch him and you know that he just doesn't score badly uh, he, he stays the same price um, the problem is he doesn't play full games and then every year I argue I mean you we've I've been we've both been sucked into Josh Kelly if we could call it that for you know the last two seasons and copped it so are we going to go third time lucky JB I'm not I'm not sure um, I mean he had- I can do it again he had three sub-tons last year. Two were in his first three rounds in which he played lower time on ground. 
And then after the after the first three rounds of his return, because he didn't play round one or two, so from rounds three to five was his return. He had 9,500, He followed that up with 116, 154, 131, 148, 138, 107, 128, 104, 106, 82, 124. Um, there is an injury in there before those last two scores. But between that round 11 and 16, sorry, 10 and 16, they are all... Just incredibly elite scores. It's so hard to look at and think there's like because right now I've got him ruled out, and it's so hard to look at these scores and rule him out because he he's just so elite when he when he's playing and and even even two of the subtons when he was wasn't playing uh, full full minutes at the start were a ninety five and a ninety seven that like he doesn't score bad. It's yeah. It, like, if you back him in to play twenty games, you. You almost back him over five to to our average almost. Like, yeah, it's just it's insane. Yes. Josh Josh Kelly <laughs> playing twenty two games most likely. I put my money on him outscoring five uh, if they both play the same number of games. He's that good of a super coach player. As he said, after rounds, what was it round five? Yeah. So after his third game, he averaged one hundred and twenty two for the rest of the season. So he's just a wonderful super coach player, but. Now we've got to think Ward is coming back into that midfield. How is that going to affect him? His role was kind of weird towards the end of last season. I think maybe they were trying to protect him a little he bit. He was more on the wing, yeah. Yeah, he was more more outside midfielder rather than inside midfielder. And, I mean, he can do anything. But, he, I mean, he was still an unbelievable outside midfielder. But it was kind of a weird role that I, I wouldn't want to pick him in. But that could have also been just because of all the injuries. You know, I think Zach Williams well. and Toby Green monopolized that midfield for like yes. their, their form in there. You could not kick them out for anyone. But now Ward is back, so what's that going to do? Ward's obviously going to play as an inside midfielder. So there's a bunch of question marks that I have. I have worries over his injury, I guess, risk or threat. But as you said, I'm not going to say I'm not going to see Josh Kelly in somebody's team and think, oh, that's not a good pick. Like you, you know what you're doing if you're picking Kelly. You are either getting an absolute gun or you're looking to trade him out because he's going to get injured at one point in time, or probably both. Um, but yeah, for me, playing overall, trying to be more conservative this year compared to every other year on the planet, um, I think I'm going to try and do the right thing by my trades and, and not start him for you know this year, I guess, given my last two years of grabbing Kelly and having to trade him out again. Well, I love Josh Kelly, and he's one of my favorite players, if not my favorite player in the whole league. But not even I can start in this year. It's just too risky. 14 and 15 games in the last two years, that just... You, you can't possibly start him with any confidence that he's going to play more than you know 18 games, which is too little. If you're missing four games, that's too many scores to cop. And if it's four consecutive, that's another trade as well. So it's just... You can't... For me, I can't personally go into the season knowing that I've either got a trade there to go already or I'm having to play a rookie on my field for four games, and I just don't want that. So for me, unfortunately, it's a pass, but I would absolutely love to have him in a heartbeat. So if he's in any form in you know round six and he's you know started like a house on fire and not looking like missing games, then I will be tempted again. So um, we are going to move on to the next one. Now we're, we're kind of doing player-by-player. Player. I just want to say we're doing player-by-player player this podcast more, more so because, as you said at the start, there's 10 standout options. And I counted, there are pretty much 10 standout options. And then we'll talk a little bit about mid-prices or lack thereof before we move on to the rucks. But we're going to discuss the 10 because I think it's pivotal 
that people make the right choices on the the three or four sorry more so four or five of these <laughs> that they select I wouldn't be selecting three um, yep. <clears throat> I'm going to read out another few scores for you here Pistol so round one 126 then 116 157 169 then 110 93 123 120 now Patrick Cripps before he had the the slightly injured slightly tagged slightly Carlton aren't very good second half of the season was looking like having a just a historical supercoach season where we could just trust him with the captaincy every single week. He was going to score 120 plus every single week. Um, he was doing it against good opposition here and there as well. Like he he genuinely epitomizes putting a team on your back and trying to get them to win. But having played just the 20 games and filtered in a few poor scores at the end there, do you look at it as I want to? get him because he's a hot starter or I don't want to start him because I don't want to cop that second half of the season or he might start this season how he ended last season what are your thoughts on Paddy Cripps Cripps has been in and out of my side and he's pretty much the only player that's been in and out of my side so I can't quite make up my mind on him obviously you see the scores and you think that's awesome but then I look at the games where he scored poorly and they all have one thing in common and that was, he was tagged. He had four times where he had a hard tag. He scored a 93, a 66, an 89, and an 85. And to me, that makes me feel like maybe he was found out a little bit last season. They could, he is taggable when we thought he was once untaggable. And if that's the case, is he going to cop the tag a lot more next season? Factor in the return of Doherty and hopefully a 100 average as well. Um, I just, I'm not sure... Exactly. I mean, the upside for Cripps is he just, you know, doesn't have these inconsistent games where he goes above, you know, 120 and then sub 100 on, on weeks um, in and out and in and out every second round. But for me, I feel like there's... Did you say that's a pro was, that he doesn't do that? No, no, that he does He, he does do that oh. and it's not a pro. Oh. It just makes me reconsider <laughs> yep. if I should be waiting to get him on the cheap at some stage uh, during the season instead of starting him as well because I can definitely get him cheaper throughout the year there's that little bit of risk and unsure of have they figured him out or not and am I going to get massively burned by not selecting him and at this stage I'm leaning towards not picking him because I I don't really feel like I'm going to get absolutely blown away by not owning him and I do really think that I'll be able to get him a lot cheaper throughout the season so for me he'll definitely be in my final team I'm just not sure that's going to be from round one onwards how crazy is it? You, you said that he goes one for one, and I mean, I'd usually peg Cripps as a consistent type player, but he. I'll, I'll rattle off more scores here. I feel like that's all I've done this podcast, but um, these are interesting to me. So from round eight against Collingwood, he went 120, then 66, 116, 89, 194, 78, 115, 73, 152, 78. This is literally all in a row. 134, 85, 148, season done. So from round eight, he literally went a huge ton for sub-ton, back and forth, every single week. Yes. That's incredible. That's almost no. that's almost more consistent than anyone else. I kept captaining him because I thought, ah, oh, he's going to hit form, and then I kept getting the bad score. <laughs> that's that's why my captaincies were so poor last season because I kept getting fooled into these traps. But it's so hard to leave yeah. him out because you look at every second score, and you know, one ninety four, one fifty two, one thirty four, one forty eight. He had early season scores of one fifty seven, one sixty nine. 
if he's not figured out with his tag and if he starts well this season, you could absolutely get caught out by Cripps not having Cripps. Definitely, you could. A hundred percent. Which is scary. I'm just, ho- <laughs> I'm just hoping that that does not happen. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, <laughs> the next player on the list, besides hoping Cripps doesn't somehow go bananas, uh, is someone who went bananas in the second half of the season when he finally got his midfield time, Josh Dunkley. I actually don't know how much we can talk about Josh Dunkley because um, in the preseason, I sort of thought, oh, Dunkley, you know, he maybe he's, maybe he's on everyone's radar this coming season. Like, maybe they're going to start tagging him and they're going to do this and that. And he's it's not a risky pick, obviously, but maybe it's a little bit POD to go without him and, and, and some people might suffer. But the more you look at his stats and the second half of the season that he had, the more it's just increasingly difficult, near on impossible to convince me not to have Dunkley in my team. I'm I'm with you there. I I'm looking at his numbers and they are just ridiculous. From even even as far back, I think it was a podcast. I, I'm sorry to bring this up, JB, where oh, you he scored 134 in round seven and you wanted to get him. And I talked to him to getting Caleb Daniel instead on the forward <laughs> line. He still averaged 100, Caleb Daniel. But from that point onwards, Dunkley did average 128. So, you know, that's a big difference. And hmm. his scores, just a, a mind-boggling good. And not just that, because of the fact that he started playing as a forward instead of as an inside midfielder, he's actually really underpriced. And this isn't a surprise to anybody. It's, it, it's also funny because most of the time a player who loses DPP, uh, for example, in Dangerfield, if he's a forward and he goes into the midfield oh, or whatever, people don't, they don't select them because they're scared of, they, they think that it's a bias, uh, cognitive bias, thinking that they're bad now value because they used to be from another position and now that they're a midfield only, they're much worse value. So selecting those players in the past has actually been quite unique and also quite good because no one else selects them and they actually you know, are good picks. However... For Josh Dunkley, I would not be surprised if he is within the top like five highest owned players in the game because everybody has such good memories of owning him at the end of last season of him going absolutely ballistic that everyone will want to start him in their midfield next season. And I actually have not seen a preseason team so far without Josh Dunkley in it. I just want to reminisce about the, the players who, who were forward and went midfielder. Like you said Dangerfield, Dusty did it that year when he was pretty much forward yeah. his whole entire career then went midfielder went crazy and won the Brownlow uh, Robbie Gray was it one year where he played predominantly midfield the year after uh, McRae even had that year forward and then yeah McRae um, was a good one his year after was insane and there's another one I just had it in my in my head but I've now forgotten but pretty much it does happen almost every single season where we have someone that's forward and then they turn midfielder and a lot of people are turned off by him even though this doesn't apply to Dunkley, because as you said, he's in everyone's team. But um, yeah, it is, it is crazy how often that happens. But not this year. Dunkley's definitely going to break the trends. He's going to be in... Uh, I'm, I'm going to call greater than 35% of teams yep. easily Wouldn't as a me. midfielder, which is crazy. That's very, very high. So I think it's time to talk about Tom Mitchell, Pistol. All right. Lay on me your thoughts on Tom Mitchell, because this is a very divisive uh, conversation we're going to have I think I hate the pick Oof. hate it you didn't mince words no I did not uh, I didn't stutter either did, do not like the pick I 
as it is right now, as I talk on this microphone on the 13th of January to, to 2020, 2020, 2020, <laughs> Jeez, 2020. See, see how far in the future I am? I know what's going to happen this season. Tom Mitchell, bad pick. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, he, he's up in the air for round one as it is. That already tells me that he's going to have a very limited preseason. He's not going to play in the preseason competition and he's touch and go for round one. I already That already turns me off. Um, I know a leg break has affected players negatively in the past. I don't really think Tom Mitchell's the type of player who relies on his jumping and leg speed to really be strongly affected by a leg break. But still, if it even affects him 5% and takes away from what he used to be, then it it's still it's still a valid reason. Um, and if he's not playing round one and he's not even discounted that heavily, he's still 630k. You're paying more for him than you are for Dangerfield, Bontempelli, Clayton Oliver, for example. I just can't justify it. I, I genuinely can't. I think there'll be a point in the season where he's cheaper. I still think he'll be a top 10 midfielder. I'll be surprised if he falls out of that. But I just can't see the starting pick logic when there are so many good options that have played 22 or you know stormed home at the end of the season or named Patrick Cripps, whatever it is. I just can't see Mitchell getting into my team. So on the other side of the coin, I think a lot of people's logic is going to be he's too expensive. He only got a 10% discount after missing an entire season, which is not enough, uh, in my opinion. So you're not quite sure he's going to bounce back. He's in doubt for round one, which is a huge turnoff. So people are probably going to lean towards not selecting him. However, if you're able to get a POD Tom Mitchell that has all the potential in the world to average 130-plus, I mean, he could be the highest-scoring player. You would not be shocked if we said, yeah, he was fit round one and he averaged, you know, he scored the most in Supercoach this season. This isn't a shocking thing that... Um, I'm saying to have him as a POD from round one, I can see that as like a move that either wins your super coach or loses your Why super do you coach, think he'll be a POD? To... I don't think people are going to select him at six. I just explained it. <laughs> you I, not listening? I see a lot. I see him in a lot of people's teams though. I don't see him in that many, especially if he's. I reckon I mean, you'll be he surprised. Doesn't play in the pre- especially- I, think, I think people don't realize how injured he is. Like if he doesn't play a single minute in the preseason competition, he'll be out of everybody's sides except those that are willing to take the, the risk if he's named in round one. Because I do think, even though he's in doubt for round one, I do think that they will play him in round one. And I'm not starting him because I don't think he'll hear this peak performance and I'll be able to get him cheaper uh, throughout the season. But I can also see people wanting you know that POD guy that could score the most in the entire game. Mm. I think you'll be surprised at his percentage ownership going into round one but that's something we can talk about leading into round one but yeah I, I think if if you're right and he is a POD say sub 15% then I could understand it I could justify it but for me personally I, I genuinely don't see a world in which he gets into my team unless he plays at least one preseason game and you know tears it up I just don't see it yep um, Roger anyway <clears throat> speaking of midfielders uh, sorry forwards gone midfielder Patrick Dangerfield 625k this year, 115 average, and I think a few people in the slack have toyed with not starting Patrick Dangerfield, but when you spit out his stats and the takeaway a couple of the injury games that he had last season, he's just incredible. He He's so good, and it would shock me to my core if he wasn't a top-eight midfielder again. He's not priced that harshly this year. 
Yes, you are correct. I mean, you just have to look back a couple of years. His last four, even five years, he's gone 118, 130, 136, 121, and his low 115 of this season uh, just passed. But it's not like there was this massive drop-off either. He's always hovered between 27 and 31 touches per game. And now Tim Kelly's gone as well. So he's going to be playing, hopefully, you would expect him to be more in the midfield because it's going to be more of a reliance on him. It's not like Gaz is going to suddenly go back into the midfield. He should pick up an extra one, two, three touches per game. As we saw, Selwood's not getting any younger either. So there's going to be this reliance on Dangerfield who has not lost basically any of his skill and I think he's actually a player with huge upside, even though he's priced at you know 620k. I, I would I would also not be surprised if Dangerfield ended the year as the highest scoring player in the whole of Supercoach. No, I definitely wouldn't. I think he's got that year in him still, um, even at his age. I think he's just got one more season where he gives the Brownlow shake, and and you know John have a ticking clock at the moment, and he's part of that, and Ablett is obviously part of that, and they have a lot of players that are aging. It's now or never. I think they're going to play for top position, and I think he's going to be the biggest part of that in the whole entire team. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. And uh, I've never once bet on the Brownlow uh, in the preseason before, and I have already bet on Dangerfield. That's how confident I am that he's going to be back to his best you know, this season. Yep, love that. That was short and sharp. Now, on to Bontempelli. We spoke about him earlier. He did rack up 22 matches and an average of 114. Um, I think his ability to go forward is seen as somewhat of a downside, but last season he did it so effectively that he he wasn't kicking goals, but he was getting shots on target. I think if you talk about progression and, and players potentially improving... Bontepelli has one key aspect of his game that if he improves it, he could easily add five-plus points to his average. What do you think of that? I definitely agree with you. Um, I I do want to just add in back to Dangerfield for one second. Uh, I I did say Tim Kelly left, um, but also they they got Jenkins, who is another forward. Uh, So I, I do want to say I don't think Dangerfield will play as much forward because they got Jenkins. So there's that end sort of logic as to why I think he's going to play more midfield time. But sorry, I'll, I'll cut back into Bontempelli because there's something interesting, uh, a kind of comparison which triggered this, is that who did Bulldogs get in this year's trade period? No? I've already We're forgotten. No? You've, already, you've already forgotten? Uh, he Can't played for St good. Kilda, Josh Bruce. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, dude, they Josh had an Bruce. amazing trade period. I... I you know, it's a few months out, I haven't thought about footy for a little while until right now, but yeah, you, you forget how good the trade period was. They had a good one. They got so, Keith as well. Not they did, and, and Josh Bruce is obviously a forward. Bontempelli, we're always worried that he's going to be resting forward and spending time forward, and I, I still think he will. I just think it will be much less now that they have Bruce, because Bruce is generally a capable footballer. So uh, they've now got... <laughs> so nice of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He he's not rubbish. So, in that in that way, I feel like he will play, even if it's an extra ten twenty percent midfield. Um, that's going to be an increase onto his score. As you said, he only needs a couple more possessions, and he ends up shooting up five points per game because he uses the ball so well. He's so good in crunch time as well in every game. And I I actually think that Bulldogs will be a very good team next year I'm, I'm predicting them I mean to be fair this is someone who thought Melbourne would finish in the top four last season so I've got that completely wrong um, I think <laughs> Bulldogs will give the top four 
um, a shake next season. So I'm very high on the Bulldogs players. Bontempelli is the one that's squeezed out. But now I'm thinking of starting him over Fife and having all three Bulldogs. So I love it. That's even on the cards for me. And, and I'm thinking of starting McRae over Fife. Let's just have the same team. Um, no, definitely not. <laughs> so he scored a, He scored 15 goals, 25 last season. He had a lot of shots on goal. So if he just turns, he if he turns that to 2020, he he immediately improves his average. And like you said, a few more touches in the midfield. I really, really like the bond this year. I'm very, very hot in the bond, um, and also like him in Supercoach as well. So <laughs> let's jump over to who I assume you were referring to as the tenth best player when you said there were ten good options this season. Um, Clayton Oliver. Yes. Nice. Average of 110, played 22 matches, um, is seen to be very consistent. What are you, I'll let you take center stage because you have spoken to me about him since pretty much round 23 last year as a smoky lookout for this season. Yeah, I love... He, he was actually, when I went through my midfielders, he was the first midfielder that I put into my side. So wow. that's how hot, hot on Oliver I am. I just think... he Look at his history... In his second year, he went 111. Last year, he went 100. Sorry, two years ago, he went 114. Last year, he went 110, as you said. The difference in possessions is none. He actually got 30 touches in every you know, average across all of those three seasons. He's played 22 games in all of those seasons, which is you know, incredible. And the thing that is standing out to me the most is... He was coming off double shoulder surgery in the preseason last year. Basically, didn't train in the preseason, and this year he's got to be more healthy than that. Like that's, you know, a shoe in. Now, coupled with the fact that in the last three seasons he's averaged well more in wins than losses, um, at least four to five points per game more in wins than losses. And last season, particularly, he averaged twenty-one points more in wins than losses. Wow, and he is playing in a team that now finished bottom four, so they get a or well, you know bottom six, and they get now with that bottom six fixture slots, they play uh, the poor teams twice. Um, so Melbourne's draw is considerably easier than it was last season, and I think that coupled with uh, him not missing any games, so he's really good for overall rank because he plays all the games. Coming off an actual preseason. I think he's got huge upside. I, I honestly believe Oliver can go around 117, maybe more, and his only price is 110. So uh, for me, yeah, Oliver was my first selected player. Another thing that stands out to me is his kicking has increased every year in the league as well. Now, we know last season he was racking up the ball but only scoring uh, sub-tons or low-tons because of his efficiency. That is his key thing. If he improves on that efficiency in the preseason, which not going through double shoulder Rico can't hurt that process, then a hundred I can 100% see him having that improvement, especially considering how young he is. My question to you is, where do you think Melbourne will finish? It's tough to predict considering how well we predicted it last season, but how do you think <laughs> Melbourne will finish this season? I, I don't think they'll finish in the bottom six, but I also don't think they'll make finals. So Okay, so between like nine and close. 12. Yeah, somewhere around there. Okay. I think they'll be in that region. And Which is better. For me, yeah, I mean, they won five games last season. That's nothing. I'm, I'm expecting them to win, you know, nine or ten this year. And that's like the five range, where that's enough games to be dominant in and, and get up that average to, a, a, you know, that nearer 120, around, you know, plus 115 average. So, um, 
Fair enough. Okay. I'm almost sold. He hasn't entered into my team at all this preseason, but he's now in consideration. Yeah, he, he's also 593k, so he's below the 600k marks. And as I said, I, I think there's 10 midfielders to consider, him being the, the 10th. He's the cheapest. So for me, he's the cheapest with one of the most amount of upside. Uh, for me, yes, yeah, straight away, lock in my side, have will not touch unless he gets injured uh, before round one. Excellent. Now, have you had a chance to look at some of the mid-prices? Do you want to maybe run me through a couple? Because I'm scrolling through this list, and I'm struggling to find any. If there are none, can you please can give me a glimmer of hope? Unless there, you want to talk one. more about premiums. I do, I do want to just uh, maybe have some rapid fire. I'll just shout out some premium names, and okay. maybe you want to give me one sentence on your thoughts or any extra information because there's a couple that I know I've seen in some other teams and uh, I think we still need, we owe it to the, the people uh, just to touch on them. So um, from Collingwood, obviously uh, the highest scoring player from last season, played 22 games. Adam Trelaw, uh, 113 average. Is he someone to consider starting with? He He's like a, a hipster's midfield pick, like someone that you, you don't see in anyone's team, but you, like that one person or two people in your group chat are always rooting for Adam Trelaw randomly. Um, he <laughs> he he's strangely consistent for someone who I don't peg for someone who's super consistent, but for some reason to me I think it's uh, it's probably because I had him a couple of years ago and, and he burnt me so hard. He's just not as trustworthy as the others, and you know he he has a few low tons, a couple of sub tons here and there. I just don't trust Adam Trelaw as much as I trust, for example, Crips or. As you just said, even Clayton Oliver and 8K above him is, you know, Bontepelli and Dangerfield. So he's just not quite in that tier. But if someone showed me their team with Adam Trelaw in it, I, you know, I wouldn't laugh him out of the room. I, I, you know, I respect the pick. It's just not for me. Yeah, at 615K, it's a lot. But he does play 22 games. So that is something that is appealing to me. Um, maybe a better draft pick instead of classic. Um, just a, a couple more. Elliot Yo. some people are hoping he takes his game to the next level. Do you see that happening in 2020? I mean, we've been hoping for that for a few years, but I think the, the thing with Elliot Yo is it's it's a compliment as much as it is a super coach knock on him, is that he's so good all around the ground that there are just going to be those moments where he's just not in the heat of the game as much as you want him to be. And if they go a player down at any stage, he, he can plug holes as good as anyone in the league. I truly believe if I had any player to pick from that could play forward, defense, or you know big inside midfielder that can rack up disposals, Elite Yo is probably in a rare category there. So um, unfortunately, I think that just works against him a little bit in Supercoach. It's stopped him from getting a 110-plus average for years now, and I don't think that'll change this year. I, I do agree, and also we've got a factor in Tim Kelly, who I want to talk about now. He, Tim Kelly's joined West Coast. You know, it's always harder when you've got these midfielders averaging a hundred plus. Obviously, they all can average a hundred plus, but it just makes the percentage play of you know Yo suddenly going one hundred and fifteen when you've just added an absolute superstar in Tim Kelly. It just makes it feel a lot less likely. And uh, speaking of Tim Kelly himself, 104 average last season, played every game. Do you think he'll improve on that, JB? He did improve his average by 10 from the first year he played. I recall saying several times last year 
And um, it's funny we talk about the the mid the Ford's gone midfielder. Maybe this is the Ford gone midfielder that we're all ignoring. <laughs> Um, because he had so many games where he's just incredible. He had scores of 160, 140, uh, so big scores, 128. He had 138 in the prelim versus Richmond. Um, he he's a good player, but he just has too many of those. Like he had a 39 at one stage last season. He has too many of those sprinkled in. Um, he's improving though. Um, he's had a 10, a plus 10 from year one to year two. He was an incredible forward to own last year. He's going to a new team. I I don't dislike the pick, honestly. If you think that he's working on his craft and he's going to be that pure midfielder, he doesn't have as much competition at West Coast as he does at Geelong, which is saying something because West Coast do have an incredible midfield, um, then I don't hate the pick. He just needs to become more consistent and you need to know what you're getting into when you pick him because... You know, have multiple scores in the 70s, multiple scores in the 80s. Most of these midfielders that we've spoken about this thus far are so good because they have, you know, we mentioned it, three or four subtons, but you know, two of them are in the 90s, one of them's in the 80s, and one of them they were just tagged out of it. Kelly, for some reason, just has sprinkled all over his year last year scores in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and that, and a, and a 30. So that's yeah. his knock so far. If he can yeah, improve the that, then 100%, I can understand the pick. I'm going to skip past Zach Merritt. Uh, he scores Thank you. much worse in in losses, and I believe Just a bad you know, 100 average in 100, 100 average in losses. I, I think Essendon are going to do significantly worse Essendon this and year than, than last year. And Heppel doesn't even have his dreadlocks. He doesn't have any help in the midfield anymore. No, look, look, For he a great can't. Cause, Merritt can't really do much much more he's already averaging you know elite numbers at 29 touches per game i'm not quite mm-hmm. sure what he has to do to average 115 plus so um i'm gonna i'm gonna skip past that uh two more uh players i, I want to talk about one of them i've seen in quite a few teams and that's canelio um he is only 549k so much cheaper than the other top end midfielders um however he only averaged 101 last season um, and that includes a score above 200. So what? why are people selecting him, do you think, JB? They're selecting him because they remember how good he is and how, how many big scores he had last year because he was one of the highest ceiling players in the competition for you know the first until he got injured. Um, he did have that score of 200. It's The thing that puts me off are the other scores. And again, it's the same with Tim Kelly. He had scores of 52, 87, 75, 76, 64. Um, obviously, I'm not going to count the zero, which is the injured game, but the 207 even cancels out that zero for his average. Um, <laughs> and then I think it was... I'm not sure if it was you or not, but yeah, maybe it was you. He had 154 in round one, then did not score over 104 until the double time in round 10. Yep. Sorry, round 11. Yep. And then had a 64 following the double time. He just, yep. he, he just, I think he can average 108 or 110 as a midfielder. I think he's got it in him, but we just haven't seen it. And as we said with Josh Kelly, there's midfielders returning there. There's players playing out of position like Williams and Green. Well, they're not out of position. They're amazing in you know their halfback and forward roles, but could also go into the midfield. Like it's just, I just don't see him being that player that goes and averages 120 out of the GWS midfield. There's They've got Kelly for that, and they've got pretty much almost every other player. They've got, I don't know, there's just too much going on with him. He can't score big (laughs) tons besides those two. So 
I did start Kinelia last season, was incredibly high on him all throughout the preseason and did feel like a genius after the 154. That faded very quickly, though. So <laughs> I think my issue, I, I can see why people are selecting him. That zero, people forget. They don't realize that he scored zero in round 17. So even though he averaged 108 last season, he's only priced at 101. So he's already very underpriced, which is great. But I will say you can have Ward coming back and you've got a player that rarely plays a full game of football. In fact, he doesn't play a full game, a full season of football. In fact, he doesn't. Now, to address where you said you're not quite sure where he plays, I think he's more likely to play as an inside midfielder than Josh Kelly. I think Josh Kelly will play more as an outside midfielder to accommodate Cornelio playing as an inside midfielder. So I like that. Um, But something that I'm not sure how I feel about it, I can't tell if it's a good or bad thing, he kicked a sneaky amount of goals last season. Like, he didn't play many games of football, and he still kicked 15 goals. That's a great return for somebody that missed seven games of football. That scares um, me. He, he had he a four-goal game with 103 points. Is yes, gonna, I remember watching that. He's going to better that terrified. to have 130. I'd be surprised if he kicked, had you know a 22 to 24 goal season in him and you know averaged a goal a game. I, I would be very surprised. So I do think that the goals will regress um, a little bit. I, I know that in the, I guess his peak year where he averaged 108, he did go at a goal a game. Um, I, I just feel like this is, I mean, look, it's it's possibly sustainable obviously because he did it in the year before but now he has there's much more players around him that are more capable you didn't have to compete with Taranto and Hopper um, back then two seasons ago so yeah this this pick I can totally get around because I love Canelio I just I don't feel great about the injury history but you know what you're getting into he's clearly discounted I think it's still like a I know a smart person's pick because it's like a secret discount that people don't realize maybe JB yeah. No. Yeah. No. I, I, no. I see what you're saying. He's just not going to score 207 every year. You know that no, he's that not. that puts the that puts the average I'll, up where the zero. I know he's not going to score zero either. But like, you know, say they're both scores of 110, then you know he's not priced that far below what he's capable of. No. 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 So I actually like somebody who's 550k more than him, and uh, you've probably forgotten and I was hoping you would forget that I said I would start him next season but I haven't so don't hold me to that um he played 22 games and that is Dion Prestia he averaged 101 but his stats for those that are unaware got insanely good towards the end of the season he averaged post by 114 supercoach points and even post round 10 was averaging 110 supercoach points so he just started incredibly slowly because he was working his way back from injury and once he found form he was an absolute machine from round 9 onwards his lowest score was 93 he he was just putting up ton after ton after ton um and honestly, I quite like the pick, JB. Yeah. He's... <laughs> I, I haven't convinced you, clearly. No, n- not, not even close. He's a form player, which is good. But I don't I don't think he has 22 games worth of tons in him. like, Or even 16 games a season worth of tons in him. And those low scores are going to weigh him down heavily. And his ceiling isn't even that high. I mean... He did score over 130 once, over 120 a few times, but uh, like 
He j- he's just not that premium midfielder. And at 550k, honestly, I would I would take Canelo over Prestia. I, he doesn't have the ceiling, you're right. I mean, we're talking, he did score 164 in the preliminary final, but that doesn't count. Um, he doesn't have the ceiling, but his floor is also really high. I mean, we can't you can't say he's going to get those poor scores because he only got those poor scores at the beginning of the season when he was coming back from injury. Like once he once that was out of his system, he, literally his lowest score was a 92. So I, I feel like you're getting a player that's going to go between 92 and like 115 every single week. Maybe he's more of a draft player and he won't let you down, but I also don't hate it for overall play. I'd rather start Mitch Duncan. And I don't want to start Mitch Duncan. But right. I really All don't right. want to start we'll Dion Prestia. We'll, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Um, and we'll go into... Um, I guess we've got to talk about Callum Ward because he's in a lot of teams. He's 511k, which is really not that cheap for somebody that probably should be priced at like 550k. Um, is Callum Ward that good? Well, I meant like at, at, at his possible... Oh, best. okay. Sorry, sorry. I thought you meant like he, he should have got like, a discount down to four fifty, but he's priced at five ten. No, he, yeah. Well, that 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 too is true. Yep. Um, <laughs> that's why. Is I was he? Confused. Is he that good of a super coach option? Um. No, not not at that price. No, I I would really be interested if he was the four fifty that we thought he was going to be, or four twenty, or wherever about he would have ended up. Because um, he does average 100 pretty much as a hobby. He's only gone sub-100 twice in the last uh, eight years, and it was 97 and 99. Uh, obviously, disc not including last year, where he just had the one game that he got injured instantly in. Um, he does churn out 22 games as, you know... Yeah, every freak, season freak he plays 22 games. Yep. Um, the last four prior to this injury were all 22. But he just doesn't. Again, he doesn't have that pizzazz. He he scored. A, he averaged 112 in 2014, which is great. Um, if he could go anywhere near that, it'd be incredible. Obviously, it'd be a great pick at 510k even. But then after that, 105, 105, 104. So he's just not. He's obviously not getting better. He's he's going. He's on a downward trend in his career, which um, he's he's not young. Um, and he's playing with a lot of skillful young players who are averaging really well. Like. You know, we talk, we talk about not even starting someone like Zach Williams because they're competing with Whitfields and, you know, sorry, we said there was with Toby Green because they're competing with Whitfields, Williams, Josh Kelly's, you know, those types of players. Callum Ward, you know, he's he's just sixth or seventh on that list for me. And um, at 510k, I think best case he averages about 103, and that's just not enough to make you enough money to start at that that rate. Well, pretty much, you just can look at his history in the last five years where he. Essentially, his numbers are rock solid, and they, he just goes like 105 every game. I think that's his absolute best score. He'll go 105 at best case scenario, and worst case scenario, you're stuck with a guy going, you know, 95 to 100. That's probably worst case, and then you're just stuck with like a poor M8, and he's not even that cheap. He's 511k. Like I would rather pay 40k more and get Canelio or. Prestia, in my opinion, but we'll, we'll touch on that another I'd time. I'd rather pay 10k uh, <laughs> or 4k more and start Sean Higgins. <laughs> I should have seen that coming. I walk straight into that one, JB. Uh-huh. Uh, I think, lastly, you, you did mention mid prices. There is not many that are worth considering. <laughs> it as sounded like you were going to say the worst. <laughs> you just stopped. And you no, went, there is none. No, no. There's essentially none. Uh, even the cheaper players, I guess. Uh, 
yeah, there's, there's basically no one. I think the only ones that I'd be willing to look at that are sub 400, because um, I'm not counting Hanabry 417. That's too expensive. All right, can I, start, can I start with you? Not that good. Can I start with I think we Are you going to go with Gibbs? No, Angus Brayshaw Pistol. What do you think? Oh, God. Please, no. I'm haunted forever. I will he's never 450k. He's young. He's getting better. If they play him inside midfield, he could easily average 105 plus. Why don't you start with Aaron Hall? <laughs> Is he even in the league anymore? I don't know. I don't know. Um, Gibbs is 375k. He's touted to play off the halfback. He's pretty old now, JB. Um, how do you see him going? He averaged 69 in his 12 games last year. Is pretty much how I can sum it up best for people. I do think he'll bounce back a little bit this year, but... We're looking at an 85 average, maybe, off of halfback. Crows already have a billion halfbackers as it is with Smith, Laird, Seedsman, um, and I think I'm missing about five of them, Milera. Um, yeah, there's there's more that I'm missing that I'm just not getting onto here. But he, even if he does do that role, it's not like he's going to be the predominant, like back at Carlton, you know, getting 30 touches off halfback. He's going to be around 20 touches a game at best. He's going to score about 85 a game. He might have a couple of good ones where he gets a purple patch, but... There's no way I'm starting or endorsing Gibbs in any team. So he played off halfback twice last season against Gold Coast and Fremantle. So some decent teams to play off halfback. Mm-hmm. Against Gold Coast, he had 26 touches and scored 71 Supercoach points. Oh, God. And against Fremantle, he had 13 touches and scored 44 Supercoach oh, points. Oh, my Lord. That's, so that's concerning. Playing off the halfback, he didn't score well. Um, playing in the midfield, he also didn't score well. So I like the. It's like when you. Th- there's upside, sure, but it's like how high is that upside? Probably not very high. He's old and he's not that good at Supercoach anymore. And that wraps up our mid price talk in the midfield. <laughs> <laughs> That's essentially any... what we're looking at in there. It's crazy. Oh, there's no, no one. I really want I mean, there to be someone, and it's just not. I like Oli Florent as a footballer. I just don't think he's going to get there. In I, I feel like Supercoach. I feel like this is the the wasteland for players that I like for a couple of years, but they're just not going to quite get there this year. Like there, if you scroll through the list, there are some good names in there, but just nothing that you want to be starting this season and betting your money on, especially when you start getting around the three fifty four hundred k mark. It's just too risky to start someone and have them not make lots of money. So you have to be really confident in a mid-pricer at that price. And if honestly, if we're talking about Bryce Gibbs for three minutes on the podcast as one of the best mid-pricers, you just have to move on and look elsewhere. <laughs> uh, Braden Sire. What about Quinton Narkel? All right, that that's actually a legitimate one. I thought you were going to make a couple that of could choice. That could actually be the only one worth even looking at. Yeah, look, he's 396k. Um, he averaged 104 across his three matches, and he looked fantastic um, when he played during the season. My issue is for Narco is he's, because of that, he's priced at 396k. He and really did himself in, didn't he? Is he going to get... Yeah, it's, it's quite high for someone from a three-game sample size. And mm-hmm. Is he really going to be playing consistent midfield numbers? Like every match I think he's going to be thrown all over the place and then it's going to be really obviously you're using him as like a stepping stone right you're going to try and make money you're going to try and hold him but when he's thrown all over the shop it's going to be 
just numbers everywhere. You're, you're never really going to know what you want to get. And let's, let's forget, as soon as the season ended and it got into finals, he just like fell to pieces. In the final series, he got 45, um, 67, and 55 and played you know more forward line than, than midfield. But that's a potential thing that may happen during the season if you started him. I think if he was like 50k cheaper and forward eligible, then I'd be having a serious look. But right now it's... yeah. Yeah, like at that price and in the midfield, he really hurt himself with his decent scoring during the season, which is, yeah, you kind of want a player to play well during the season, so he hasn't hurt himself. But anyway, that, that he's hurt his price with the form that he showed during the season last season, and that's just enough to, to scare everyone away, I think. Any rookies that just jump out at you as like must-pick players, just for when we populate our early teams, which ones should we just chuck in to our sides? Uh, there's the biggest lock of 2020 in Marley and Pickett. Um, he's absolutely into everyone's side I think he's walk up best 22 he should be especially after that grand final performance and if he can even do 40% of what he did in that grand final he's going to make you a decent amount of money so uh, I think he's a very obvious one uh, Matty Rao I think is the pick of the bunch out of this draft class um, to be anything like Sam Walsh I think he can average around 75 plus which is amazing um, especially being one of those midfielders in the Gold Coast where there's just not a lot of competition for the possession I think if he shows a bit of cleanness a bit of sharpness around the ball um, he could quite easily go 70 plus so it wouldn't surprise me at all he's locked into my side um, besides that there there are a few good ones I think um, I, I know a lot of people talk about Essendon and they they drafted Mitchell Hibbert in the preseason but Mitchell Hibbert couldn't get a game for Melbourne out of halfback sort of thing so a lot of people are sceptical but um, they've grabbed him for a reason they do lack midfield talent and he did have a decent stint in the VFL I think he's a chance to get games so for now you've got to pop him in and then besides that um, yeah there are, there are a couple of players that uh, we're hearing good things about so far but either leave him empty or just pop in placeholders for now I think unless I've missed anyone Pistol uh, I think Ned McHenry is probably worthwhile popping on your bench just because he should have played last season. I think he's been very good and I expect him to play, if not round one, ASAP for the Adelaide Crow side. Um, I guess we'll see if Luke Valenti can actually play for Fremantle. I think he might be given chances because, again, he should have at least got a chance last season. And um, Jackson Mead for Port has yep. been... Uh, I was going to say him as well. Pre-season. Yeah, I like yeah, him. I uh, you, you spoke about him to me beforehand, so it's. I think you just forgot. Um, and lastly, you freaked me out when you kept saying Mitchell Hibbert. Who says Mitchell Hibbert? Just Mitch Hibbert. Come on. I mean, that's how it's written out in Supercoach, and I'm a respectful person, so I'm just going to abbreviate his name <laughs> when I don't know him. All right, well, just go with like Al Ruckman, Maximilian Gorn and Brodithemi Grandi, whatever Brodithemi, I love that. If that <laughs> that's incredible. Brodithemi. <laughs> that's not a name at all, but I, I, I rate it. Nah. Um, well, speaking of Brodithemi and Maximilian, uh, we should get on to the Rucks. I think, uh, now Pistol, if it's up to me, and I don't know if you're going to give me permission to this, but I would like to keep this down to a 10 minute discussion about two guys and not no. even mention anyone else. We're not going to do that. Ah, oh, man. All right, well, I'm pretty much going to say from the get-go, we're discussing Gorn and Grundy versus Grundy and anyone else. Now, in my opinion, I just can't fathom the logic behind starting Grundy and anyone else besides Gorn. So... Um, the names that have been thrown up at the moment, you know, you're hearing Lysette, you're hearing Sam Jacobs, you're hearing Todd Goldstein, obviously who had a good end to last season. 
these players are decent ruckmen <laughs> in their own right. I respect that. You went with Lysette over like Nick Nat? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Nick Nat as well. Honestly, it's really funny. That was, that was pretty funny. Yep. Sorry, um, continue. They are good ruckmen. But the closest ruckman that got to the top two last season was Goldstein. He was still 16 points away. And Gorn yeah, only missed game. one game. And the second half of the season with his bung ankle was terrible. And Goldstein outscored him. And he still averaged 16 less. Please, help help me understand this, Pistol. You're starting a team. If you're considering Goldstein, there's only 90k difference. It's not like you're saving 300k. Now, with the Sam Jacobs pick, I understand he's at a new club, but he did not have a good year last year. It's not like he got injured in round one and struggled and you know was always injured and injured in the sandfall. He was playing well in the sandfall. He couldn't get back into that team. And when he did, I know they played him with Rob because Rob was undroppable at that point and he wasn't soul ruck and all that business. But he wasn't good. Even when he was in the ruck, he was not good as a ruckman. And GWS don't get good ruckmen. That's just that's kind of their mantra since they entered the competition. They just don't enjoy good ruckmen for some reason. Sam Jacob, he fits their mantra of not enjoying good ruckmen. He's not going to go bananas and turn back the clock and average 95 this season. I'd be surprised if he averaged 85. I, w- I want to discuss this in a bit more detail. Maybe we'll use some numbers and run through some hypotheticals. But I, I do want to say, so I haven't really seen it anywhere. Are people really expecting Jacobs to play every game until the bye like, I, I don't know why I, I feel like Mumford is still there and he could play one or two games before the bye just to give Jacobs a re- it's not like Jacobs is this spring chicken right like he's old too no, he's uh, surely, quite opposite actually surely they play a healthy Mumford once or twice just to you know alleviate you know the, to keep Jacobs fresh because he's definitely not playing 22 games like there's no chance of that so I find it really strange that people are expecting him to play every game up until the bye I feel like you might get yourself into a hole by selecting him but um, I do want let, to let's talk through some numbers because Sam Jacobs has to be considered because it's 350k obviously Gorn is 700k so we're talking about one player being double the other player's price like a 350k saving is a lot um, however 350k let's put it into perspective people are saying i can get an extra premium midfielder or premium forward or premium defender on field if we have a rookie that's 117k or let's say 124k rookie and now we're adding 350k we're talking about a premium player that's 475k that's not quite enough to get a guaranteed really good midfielder or forward or defender i feel like this is all still up in the air and if you pick um gorn and a rookie we're we're talking gorn averages 130 so that's 130 a rookie could average 55 which is probably low end for a rookie and i mean they're probably not on your field but whatever we'll, we'll go that's a total of 185 points per game and you get the money that the rookie is going to make and they accumulate money quicker than mid prices and then you've got jacobs and this sub-primo 475k dude, and maybe even if Jacobs goes 90, I know you said it's impossible for him to go 95, I feel like 90 is relatively fair for this example. You're going to need this 475, 500k player to average 100, which still is not a guarantee, just to average 190 
even though the other combination averages 185. I mean, sure, Jacobs will go up a bit in price and Gorn will drop in price, but the rookie that's going at 55 per game is going to make you 200k like that. That It might save you, even if it does save you anything, it might save you barely any money by going the other option. Plus, it costs you a trade you know, to get Gorn in, although it still costs you a trade when you have that rookie to get him to a primo, so the trades cancels out. But the thing that doesn't cancel out is Max Gorn is legitimately an unbelievable captaincy option. You can go Grundy into Gorn or Gorn into Grundy all throughout the season and probably get great scores for the whole year, and that's something that is completely overlooked. So when you look at it as like a whole package, JB, one has this risk in Jacobs and the risk in you know, this weirdly priced mid-pricer, well, not mid-pricer, but premium. And the other is Max Gorn, who has gone 120 plus in back-to-back years. Like this, it's quite low risk. I mean, if Gorn gets injured, he might get injured after you trade him in. He might get injured before you trade. You can't really predict these injuries. So if we're looking at it as a whole, one option is just significantly, in my opinion, safer than the other. And the benefits and the negatives are essentially equal. Like they, It's the same roughly money. It's the same rough trades. One is a captaincy option over the other. And one has less risk than the other. So I'm going to be going with the Gorn option for sure. And I, I would definitely recommend going with the Gorn for anyone else. Um, people that are looking at Nick Nat, I can understand because his points per minute is so high. But he's just not going to get that much. People expect him to get massive game time. They're going to still try and preserve his body. He's obviously, you know, at least a little bit injury prone, whether you like it or not. Um, a little bit? Yeah. I just, I, even if he goes 110, which I think he's capable, you still have to make this jump to go on at some stage and he'll only make you about 100K, maybe 120K. And then you still need to pay 120, 130k to get to Gorn, and he's already averaging 130 this whole time. I mean, Rowan Marshall, I could imagine in another world, but he's still 110, which is nowhere near. Um, and they just even bought people in a looking few at as well, like Paddy Ryder, who will affect Marshall, even if it's just a little bit. I think it'll affect him. I think Rowan Marshall is a really good 2021 pick. Yeah, and, and Rob as well. He's priced at 95. He'll go 100 plus next season, no doubt. But it's not going to be anywhere near gone, and you're not getting the value. I think Tim English will be um, make a mockery of his 82 average, probably 95, maybe even 100 at an absolute best. But what what are you doing? You're you're so close to Gorn's price, but you're getting someone that's averaging 50 points per game less or 30 points per game less, and isn't a captaincy option there? I don't know, JB. Yeah. I've, I've ranted enough. I've probably spoken for like 10 minutes. Um, I'm just going to spit out some random things for you, though. It's not Sam Naismith. I don't think we need to go on this uh, <laughs> Thank God. again. It's not Archie Smith at 179K who might get games. Um, it is all the way down. We're talking... I've got, I've got some sort of problem here. I'm looking at Sam Draper, who's 123k for Essendon, who I think will play at some stage of the season. I have Darcy Cameron for Collingwood, who's a ruck forward, 123k. However, he plays for Collingwood, which means you can't loophole with Grundy. Collingwood play on Friday night or Saturday nearly every game for the entire season, so you basically can't loophole with Darcy Cameron. Um, So you have to use a loophole on some other point of your field. And... Darcy Cameron, I I do expect, will play at some stage. So is it worth selecting a player 
that might play in the future for your R3 or is it worth just picking a loopholing option instead? So a lot of people who had gone for that injured game and copped, uh, who did I cop? Zach Smith? No, what's his name? Zach Clark. Yeah, you, yeah, you got and, Zach and Clark. He scored that was like not good. Thirty. Um, yep. A lot of people's concern with Gorn is that he might miss a game or two and they don't have any cover. We've actually got two options, like you just mentioned, that are that would be, I think, okay cover. Worst case scenario, it's it's more points that the other person, the other people in the Supercoach aren't making up on you for missing that one game, if it even does happen, and if their Ruckman does go 22 games. Sorry, I'm getting annoyed at the whole Gorn and Grundy thing again. But I, I don't mind either of these options. It's whether you want the Darcy Cameron forward Ruck loophole. Say, for example, if he's in the team over Cox for round one, then would you be that opposed to starting a forward loophole and having Darcy Cameron, like a Ruck forward in your forward line and having Darcy Cameron in your Ruck? I, why wouldn't I just put Darcy Cameron in my forward line? Well, that, in that yeah, case? yeah, it's all right, exactly right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was thinking, I was being too big brain there that it, it made me small brain. Maybe Draper's a, a better example because because Draper came across on big money to Essendon. Um, he's definitely where did he come from? Got, St Kilda. That's right. And they put, wait, did he? Didn't St Kilda offer him big money and he stayed at Essendon? You're right. Yes. No, you're wrong. No, you're right. No, I'm you're right. right. Yeah, I'm you're right. right. You're right. So they you're obviously right. rate him extremely high because I think they paid the money to him. He, si- he signed money. He's on He's on cash. So, yeah, you'd be surprised if Bell Chambers wasn't at least off for a few games and, and Draper stepped in and, and did well because I think they rate him extremely highly. Um, so, yeah, I kind of... I mean, I think I feel like it's something that'll you know smooth itself out the closer that we get to the season, whether you know Cox is really out of the 22 for... Darcy Cameron, or whether Sam Draper is really a chance to play over Bell Chambers, as that comes to its conclusion, um, I suppose we might have a clearer idea. You know, there might be the conclusion that Darcy Cameron isn't going to play a single game this season, and you know, we don't why, why put him in there to ruin the loophole sort of thing. But um, I, I would prefer to start an R three that is playing over one that isn't. For example, like a loophole, um, because after a few rounds, as it was last season or every season, you end up having a player scoring zero anyway. You know, yep. you end up having that player that you can loophole in as it is. So it tends out tends to be fine in the end after a few rounds. So it's whether you can you can find players to loophole in the first few rounds that played before Collingwood to make it you know justifiable enough to not start one in your ruck. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking I'll play Combin as my R three who won't play non playing and then might stick. He's got that DPP ruck forward and then put Darcy Cameron on my forward bench if he looks like getting a game. I think that you might get the best of both worlds. Um, doing that or you just go hell for leather and you get the cheapest possible 102k Gold Coast player and you don't worry about it because Gorn missed a game last season and he still outscored Goldie who played 22 games he still outscored him by you know 230 points so maybe just cop it yep agreed I mean sucks but it's not the end of the world. And please, please start Gorn and Grundy. Please. Please, community. I'm begging. I'm begging, Pistol. This isn't a pretty look for you, JB. Begging. I'm on my knees. <laughs> please. If, 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 there are, if, if I start seeing Jacobs as a popular op- option come across my desk, oh, it's not, 
I, just, I, I love reviewing people's teams, but it just really, it really unmotivates me. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that wraps up uh, this podcast, JB. Where can people find if, if they want to get a, a review of their team by you? Well, I am at JB underscore DRSC on Twitter. Yourself, Pistol, you are at Pistol underscore DRSC on Twitter. And then Chizo, we need to get the man, Chizo, the man with the golden voice, the most attractive golden-voiced man in the small town that he lives in, named Chizo. <laughs> um, we need to get him to 1,000 followers. He's the only one of us three that, aren't, that isn't there yet, and I know his content isn't as good as mine or Pistol's, but he still deserves to be at 1,000 followers just for his voice alone. So, at Chizo with a Z, underscore DRSC, is his Twitter as well. And I'm excited to say that the Twitter is going to be receiving a big revamp, so we can now afford to plug at Dr. underscore SC as our Twitter pistol because someone has been brought in specifically to handle the Twitter. So, I think that'll be up and running again very shortly. So, that's exciting. Perfect. Sounds great. And then, obviously, make sure you check out our Patreon if you feel inclined to do so. We're on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on all the other business. Make sure you leave a comment or review. Inbox the page if you've got any questions about your team. We'll answer those as they come in. And thank you very much for listening. <laughs>